Welcome to Exploring Beyond the Edge with Dr. Cynthia Andrews. Are you ready to explore the conscious path around you? Open your heart and mind and awaken your curiosity? You've stopped into the right place. Now, here is your host, Dr. Cynthia Andrews. Hey there, this is Cynthia and my co-host Colin. So thank you for tuning in and showing up again this week. Um, we wanted Colin and I to to start tonight with our prayers and condolences to the many people affected by the California fires. And we were thinking, especially after this particular show, that maybe at the end of the show when we all have hung up, we could spend a moment in group meditation just sending our intentions of well-being to the plants, the animals, the people, and everybody there. Yeah, wishing it was actually better news after a few days of uh, severe problems down there in California. But uh, unfortunately, even just hearing that there are two new fires uh, near in the Simi Valley there, and you know, our thoughts and prayers um, with great concern for for the for the people down there. So you know, our hearts are with you. So, um, we do have a, a truly fascinating show tonight, and I know we're going to run out of time before the end, so I wanted to announce um, next week's show now so that we don't have to come back to it later. Um, so, during the next two weeks, we will be taking some of the wisdom from tonight's show and, and our other guests that we've, we've had in the last few weeks, and we're going to apply that wisdom in two very different directions. So next week, Colin will be discussing some of the more intriguing encounters we have had, he he in particular, with UFO and other unexplained phenomenon. And the following week, I'm going to be exploring the interconnection between emotions and subtle energy and their importance in discovering the inner abilities that we're going to be discussing tonight. So if you have questions for tonight's guest, you can call in at 888 888- Three four six nine one four one, or email questions to energyexplorations at gmail.com and put radio question in the subject line. So tonight we have as our guest Dean Radin, a scientist of true courage. So I know a lot of you know Dean's work because you've been emailing this week and expressing excitement over tonight's program. Dean is one of the few experimental scientists willing to design and execute experiments that engage abilities such as telepathy, precognition, and other unrecognized attributes of the body-mind. Dean is chief scientist of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. He has published innumerable technical and popular articles, and he is the author of four best-selling books, The Conscious Universe, Entangled Minds, Supernormal, and his highly acclaimed new book, Real Magic. In addition, um, Dean is a distinguished professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies. He's president of the Parapsychological Association and co-editor-in-chief of the Elsevier Journal, Explore. So welcome, Dean, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, well, you know, before we go ahead in, Dean, uh, you know, how, how about your own situation down there? Uh, in the uh, in California with these fires, how are you s- faring down there? Well, we're doing okay. We're about a hundred miles from the fires, but the plume of smoke is so heavy that for the next couple of days, actually for the last few days and the remaining rest of the week, uh, most of us are told not to go outside 
because it, yeah. it's daylight, but it looks like it's nighttime. Good gracious. The smoke is so heavy. Outrageous. Well, yeah. you know, our thoughts are with you, as we said. Um, yeah. Well, we'll strike in here, Dean. Uh, you and I uh, enjoyed a mutual friend and colleague, the late Edgar Mitchell, co-founder of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. He was, as you know, and most people do, an Apollo 14 astronaut who was the sixth man to walk on the surface of the moon and was the pilot of the lunar module. Edgar passed away what, two years ago now and is sadly missed. I think of him often. Uh, you are chief scientist at the Institute. How did you first come into contact with Edgar and take up that position of chief scientist? How did all that come about? Well, I remember back in around 1980 that I, I learned about the Institute. At the time, I was working at Bell Laboratories, and I thought it was just it was just spectacular that there was some place somewhere that was doing for inner space what Edgar had done for outer space. Yeah. So I began to support the Institute way back when, and at the time, of course, I didn't think I would end up there. Uh, <laughs> but as it turned out, uh, in 1998, I moved to the, to the Bay Area, California Bay Area, and at the time, the Institute was just, just uh, north of the Golden Gate Bridge, not too far from where I was. So I knew the people working there and remained in friendly terms. And a couple of years later, uh, the uh, director of research there, who was Marilyn Schlitz at the time, essentially created a position for me so that I could start an in-house research program. So I was brought in uh, to start a laboratory at the Institute and have been there ever since. So... I got the uh, a title promotion about, let's see now, about five or six years ago, uh, but it it doesn't mean much. It, it <laughs> primarily means that in the old days, there, there was primarily me as the scientist in-house, but now we have seven. So oh, I, I didn't know that. decided that we, we need somebody who to, to be the chief of the seven, and that, that ended up being me. Oh, well done. <laughs> um, a word that we often hear, especially with your work um, and the you know, those the, those um, subjects that interest both Cynthia and I greatly too, is the word consciousness. You must speak it many times in a day, I'm sure. How, how do you describe uh, consciousness? It seems that, you know, whoever one asks in the scientific realm, one gets a slightly different take on it. Uh, what, what is your uh, reading of consciousness? Well, the way I think of it is it's the mystery of subjective experience. It, it's the idea of awareness. You're aware of awareness, aware of yourself. So that, that portion of consciousness is a piece of it because there's also large chunks of our awareness that is not aware to us, the mm -hmm. unconscious. So the biggest mystery now, in fact, one of the main mysteries in science is, as they would say, the, the biological substrate for consciousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you have three pounds of neural tissue inside your skull, how come that thing can be aware of itself and the rest of the universe? That's a major mystery. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of good um, TED Talks on that subject for anyone who's interested. And Dean, in, in your new book, Real Magic, you equate experiences such as telepathy, precognition, intentional work with the term real magic, and you and you kind of divide it into three categories of experience. Can you describe those categories for the listeners? Sure. So the magical practice refers to the practice of the esoteric traditions, the 10,000 years or so of, of many different names for esoteric ideas, but what it boils down to in terms of practice, the application of those ideas is three categories. One is divination, which the, the stereotype image of someone gazing into a crystal ball or a mirror or throwing runes, that sort of thing. So divination is perception through space and time. The second category is sometimes called manifestation or force of will, which is the idea that your intentions can influence the world around you. And the third category is called theurgy, which refers to communication with uh, invisible spirits that so, you hope will do things on your behalf. I see. So we can look at like the perceptions of events at a distance in space or time as remote viewing and precognition and telepathy. Those would all fall into that category. And then your mental right. influences, we could look at intention and prayer and, and also things like voodoo, right? Yes. Yeah. Anything that involves an intentional act to change something or influence something at a distance is mm-hmm. part of manifestation. And then your interactions with non-physical entities would include things like UFOs and people who have passed to the other side, angels, all of that? And it involves uh, what perhaps what channelers are communicating mm-hmm. with and what mediums communicate with, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're designing experiments that interact with these um, beliefs and abilities and finding out that they have merit, they have value. Would that be fair to say? Well, the the first stage in any in in any of these investigations is simply to listen to what people's experiences mm-hmm. are. So there's there's something like twenty five different kinds of experiences that we give labels to. Like telepathy is a label for a kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And once you have a a good taxonomy of the kinds of experiences that people have, the next question is, well, is it real? or maybe it's a hallucination or, or some mm-hmm. other mistake. So in each time we, we've looked at these various experiences, we once we get a sense that maybe it looks like it's a real phenomenon and it, it's not a mistake or hallucination, the next step is how do we go into the laboratory and test it under controlled conditions so that we can be more assured that it is what it appears to be. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the sequence that we follow. Once you do that, you and you and you begin to study these experiences, you will eventually come up with a some degree of confidence that the effect is what it appears to be. Uh, I mean, me- meaning that it's it's a real effect. Mm-hmm. And then the ne- very next question that comes up is, well, how do we understand it better? How do we explain it? So most of our research at this point is not so much anymore on the idea of trying to simply demonstrate it or prove it, mm-hmm. but rather to try to figure out how it works and, and how do we understand it in terms of science or perhaps we need something that expands 
science to begin to understand it. Mm-hmm. Have we got anywhere near um, understanding what the power of focus is? I mean, what energy is involved in? I mean, are, are we in a position yet uh, to be able to measure that effect? I think we have learned a few things. For example, it is almost certainly not the case that force of will or intentional effects involves energy. Probably not energy. The the reason I say that is because uh, take something like telepathy, for example, where people, when they first think about the idea of how how would I explain that two people can have similar thoughts and feelings, but they're far distant from each other. And this is excluding coincidence and excluding all of the usual mundane explanations, but involving some kind of real connection between people's minds. Mm-hmm. So we are so used to the idea that, that mind and brain are the same thing that the first thing that comes to most people's minds is mental radio. That somehow the electrical activity of the brain is transmitted through the air just like a radio and then another brain acts like a receiver and picks it up. Well, over the last century, there have been many, many tests to see whether or not uh, we're dealing with something like an electromagnetic connection. And all of the evidence so far strongly suggests that it is not electromagnetic. It's not carried in the same way that a radio wave is carried. So it's something quite different, and this, of course, makes it difficult to give an explanation because it doesn't fit what we already know. But if you, you follow this, the, the line of research that's been done, it looks much more like we're dealing with something like a way to transmit information that is not being transmitted as a signal, as a force. So it, it looks like we're not dealing with energy per se, but more like informational ways of exchanging bits of information from here to there. And this is why some people suspect that what we're dealing with is something that's a lot closer to what we see as a phenomenon of of entanglement in quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. Because there, you have connections at a distance, but it doesn't involve energy. Mm -hmm. It's not not a common sense way of thinking about how one thing will influence another, but it's still quite a real connection. So didn't David Baum, who is the grandfather really of of quantum mechanics, um, suggest that there was another force underneath and all-encompassing of the electromagnetic spectrum that in and of itself is not a frequency but encompasses all of it? Well, Baum's idea of the implicate order is Mm. is sort of along those lines. He had the notion of an explicate order, which is the world that we see, and can measure, and that's what our physics are based on, but that that world emerges out of something else, and that's what he called the implicate order. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, his idea of the implicate order, as he put it, was inherently mental. So this, this space that's kind of a substance that's below the physical world as we, as we normally see it, he envisioned as being and the place, by the way, from which the physical world arises, envisioned as being ultimately a mental place, which Hmm. is interesting. Doesn't that take us back into um, electrochemical, you know, with with electrical potential, the thought process? If it's in the head that it's it's got some electromagnetic component to it, would would you see it that way, Dean? 
Well, I would say that there are neural correlates, mm-hmm. the biochemical correlates of thought, but that doesn't mean that the brain is actually producing it. Right? right. The question right. comes down to, is it causal or is it a correlation? And all that we know so far from the neuroscientists is that there are correlations between thoughts and, and brain activity, but that, again, that doesn't mean that the brain is actually producing. Right. Hmm. And so, so somehow this is bringing up in my mind the, the whole image of dark matter and dark energy and and you know dark these this 95 percent that we don't have any real measurement of being the scaffolding of physical reality and and somehow somehow this is all related but you probably know that much better than we do (laughs) well it might be related i mean there there may well be a large portion of the physical world that we don't understand very well yet. Mm-hmm. So that's certainly compatible with the puzzle of psychic phenomena, which we can demonstrate as being real, uh, mm-hmm. but we don't have a very good understanding of that either. So it's possible that dark energy and dark matter, and by the way, assuming that our cosmological models are correct, mm-hmm. if, our, if our cosmology is not completely correct, then maybe there is no dark matter or dark mm-hmm. energy. Because right. those are assumptions based on existing models, and models change all the time. So, we we don't. I would say we don't know yet with with high certainty that dark energy and dark matter are a thing, mm-hmm. or whether they're simply reflections of the nature of our cosmology today. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to head into a break now, and I want everyone to stay around because we're going to be getting into more intricate uh, questions about how all of this affects the conversations we've been having on this program and conversations about our supernormal abilities, if you will. Um, so if you would like to contact Dean, you can reach him at his website, www.realmagic.com, and you can also order his book there. It's a great book. You should definitely order it. And then come back after the break because there really is lots more to cover, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com We all have the inner ability to use the gifts within ourselves to serve ourselves, our families, loved ones, and our communities. Once you have discovered these gifts and talents, you can promote harmony, peace, and hope. To find out how to harness your own gifts and talents, tune in to Get Ready. Get ready for your breakthrough with host Felicia A. Hill, live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and share with others. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. 
This is Exploring Beyond the Edge. To reach Dr. Cynthia Andrews or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to energyexplorations at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Well, welcome back. We are talking tonight with Dean Radin about supernormal abilities and consciousness and his book, Real Magic. And if you want to reach him, you can reach him at www.deanradin.org. That would probably be the best, um, the best uh, website to reach him at. Um, so also, I wanted to remind everyone that if you're interested in developing your abilities, um, we have an Energy Basics 101 class opening in a few weeks, so find out more about it on my website, explorationsandenergy.com. Um, Dean, would you explain to the listeners what you mean by the bow wave of an event? The bow wave? Mm-hmm. You, in, in your, yeah, in, in one of your experiments when you go through... And, and discuss how you're doing a telepathy experiment and you're showing people pictures of emotional um, events and you're registering their body's response prior to them actually seeing the picture and you're noticing that their body picks up the emotion ahead of time. And at one point, I, I read in, I believe it was Entangled Minds, you called this, that these events had a bow wave ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a metaphor that's used to uh, describe how it can be that somebody can feel something before it actually happens. And so it refers to, uh, imagine you have a stream with a, with a pretty strong current in it, and you put a stick in the middle of the stream, and if you watch closely, you see that the water, which is impinging on the front end, the, the, the uh, upstream part of the stick, will create a, a wave, a pressure wave, that pushes back against the stick. So mm-hmm. if you put a leaf that was flowing down the stream and it, it just happened to float right in front of the stick, it would actually start moving backwards. So if you imagine the stream like the flow of time, that if something, some event occurs, in this, this case it's the metaphor of the stick, that time can seemingly actually reverse depending on, on exactly where your experience, which is the leaf floating down the stream in the metaphor, if, if you happen to hit it just at the right spot, your future experience can, can come back at you from the future. So that's, mm-hmm. I think that's what I meant by, by the idea of a, a wave that is pushing back and seemingly will reverse time. Mm-hmm. Would you explain to people, do a better job explaining to people about the experiment you were doing with telepathy that I was just referring to? Well, that's actually an experiment in what I call presentiment. Mm-hmm. It's the notion that uh, we, we all think we know what precognition means. It means to, to know, that's the cognitive part, but to know before something happens, precognition. Presentiment means to pre-feel. And so this is not a cognitive event. It's simply a feeling event, but it's a feeling of, of something that is about to unfold. So in everyday life, the, one of the more common ways that this happens is that you, you drive to work a certain way and you've driven that way a thousand times before and you come to a certain intersection with a red light and you're stopping, waiting for the light to turn 
And so you do this many, many times. So on this particular day, driving to work, you have a green light. And as you approach it, you're starting to get a bad feeling. It's, so there's no, no cognitive or sensory clues as to what's happening, but you get a bad feeling. So even though you have the green light, you start slowing down. And, you, and the closer you get to the light, the more you slow down. And the cars behind you are a little bit angry at you at this point. <laughs> but you just have this bad feeling. So that's a presentiment. And the reason why this is an interesting event is because when those experiences happen, the likelihood is that there's a reason that you're slowing down, namely that you approach the light and somebody has just blasts through the intersection against the red light from the side. And if you had continued going ahead at the normal speed, you would have been hit broadside. So the pre-sentiment feeling gave you a heads up that you had better do something, otherwise your future is not going to be very happy. So we wanted to take that kind of experience, which I've heard people tell me many times, and put it into the laboratory to study, first of all, is it a real thing, or maybe it's just coincidence. So to study it, you sit somebody down in front of a, a computer screen, you wire them up to look at uh, physiological measures like heart rate and skin conductance. Sometimes we look at brain activity. And then you ask them to press a button, and the screen remains blank for five seconds. And then at random, the computer chooses either a calm picture or an emotional picture from a very large pool of possible pictures. Then it presents that picture on the screen for three seconds. Then the picture goes away for about 20 seconds. And then you repeat. You do the experiment again. So in any given session, the person might see 30 or 40 pictures. Some will randomly be calm. Some will randomly be emotional. And later, what you do is analyze the physiology, whether it's uh, heart rate or skin conductance, whatever, and see before the calm event and before the emotional event, is the physiology the same or does it differ? Well, the hypothesis is that if you're getting information about your immediate future, that before an emotional picture, your, your heart rate and your skin conductance and your whole physiology will start responding as though you're about, you've already gotten an emotional picture. But this is typically between three and ten seconds before the picture actually appears. Uh, and before a calm picture, you will remain calm. So that was mm -hmm. the hypothesis. We did the experiment. We got beautiful results showing that the hypothesis is true. And since I first started this experiment in the mid-1990s, there are now about four dozen replications from labs around the world showing that uh, the, this effect is real enough so that you run people through repeated experiments in different laboratories. You keep seeing the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. So this is a relatively not complicated, I'm not going to say easy, but it's a not complicated way of demonstrating that unconsciously our bodies are telling us that uh, we actually know what is about to unfold even when there's no ordinary way of knowing it. So our body receives information before our conscious mind. It is a, a um, receiver in many different ways, an instrument. Um, well, I think it's actually, it's the unconscious mind. It's like the mm -hmm. larger portion of consciousness 
that's aware of all kinds of things. And so the body is simply a reflection of what the unconscious knows. Mm, Candace Pert always talked about the body as being the unconscious mind. I don't know if you're familiar with her work on the molecules of emotion, the yes, neuroscience of emotion. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, do you think the mech- well, no, actually, do, do you find that strongly pleasant emotions have as much impact as strongly unpleasant emotions? Yes, but it depends on, on gender. So mm. uh, women respond differently to emotional pictures than men do. And so in the international picture set that we use, it's a pool of about 700 pictures. Each picture is uh, assessed and rated according to emotionality and to valence. So valence refers to whether it's a positive or negative picture. And the, the, the international rating is different for men and women because of the way that we respond differently to different pictures. So does some people will respond more to pleasant pictures and others will respond more to negative pictures. And that, that ends up being partially gender-based, but also it's idiosyncratic. Mm-hmm. So to give you an example, if, if you were a, um, a herpetologist and you handle snakes all the time, then when you see a picture of a snake, you might have a warm, fuzzy feeling mm. because you know those, those creatures. But if you don't handle snakes all the time, you would see a picture of a snake and have uh, a, a shock response, a negative response. So that's something that we generally don't know in advance when we do an experiment. Uh, and, but we learn about it, and that's while we do the experiment, and that's why we run many, many people through these experiments to average out these idiosyncratic uh, factors. Mm-hmm. So based upon um, what you said there, Dean, could it is it fair? I think reasonable, perhaps, to um, more virtually guarantee that the female—I'll I'll call it energy—but female, the effect of female involvement in our political world um, is going to change in a dramatic fashion. I mean, the fact that we now have many more females, i.e., female interactions with our society um, at all kinds of levels, is now uh, taking place. Is that alone going to uh, significantly affect our lives? And how? Well, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I, I don't I know if that will you. happen, but I certainly hope so because we, we, we need help. <laughs> we we need certainly help. do. All right. So, so, Dean, I'm always interested in the mechanisms of things. And I'm wondering, you know, I hear a lot of different... Um, ideas on the mechanism of this transference of emotion. Some people talk about Rupert Sheldrake's work and, and the morphic field. Some people talk about entanglement. Some people talk about mirror neurons. Um, what is your thought about how this transference is happening? Well, this is the question that drove me to first study the esoteric literature and then to end up mm-hmm. writing a book about it, Real Magic. Because if you you start from a scientific perspective, it means that you're automatically adopting a materialistic worldview. This is this is what we're taught as scientists. This is the way that most people trained in the Western tradition think about the nature of the world as basically made out of matter and energy, and everything else, including the mind, including consciousness, would come afterwards. Well. I've been thinking for a long time then about how do we make models 
in mechanistic terms and materialistic terms that would describe how somebody purely in their mind can get information about the future or get information about a very far distant object. Well, there are some models, but they don't work very well. It's very difficult. And this, and this, by the way, the difficulty of making viable explanations for these kinds of psychic effects mm-hmm. in the materialistic model is exactly the reason why these kinds of phenomena are resisted by the scientific mm-hmm. mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so what else do we have? Well, if you start looking for other worldviews, not just the scientific worldview, but other worldviews that have persisted for many thousands of years, you very quickly end up with the, the so-called esoteric worldview as one that, that started with shamanism and can be traced all the way up through the present day. Most of that worldview comes from mystical experiences. Mm-hmm. It's also some from psychic experiences, from deep meditation and so on. And what that worldview says when you do a synthesis across all the different cultures and all the different traditions, is that consciousness is fundamental. That's what, that's what the esoteric worldview is all about. When I say consciousness is fundamental, I mean that it is more fundamental than the physical world. It is, in a sense, what Bohm was talking about as the implicate order. It's mm-hmm. this mental space that somehow the physical world and the universe arises out of it. If you take that perspective, that consciousness is fundamental and that it is it comes before space-time, it's not part of physics yet, well, the consciousness that we all enjoy as our own self, the thing that we call me inside our head, that consciousness is made up of the same stuff as some sort of universal consciousness that gives rise to the universe. Mm-hmm. This is what the esoteric traditions say. If that is correct, then suddenly understanding psychic and mystical experience is very easy. Because the whole, the whole strange thing about any kind of psychic experience is that it doesn't seem to be inside space and time. It's not constrained by space or time. It transcends it somehow. So the esoteric traditions would say, then, no, that's because consciousness is not in space or time. It's before even those concepts arise. Mm-hmm. Space and time emerge out of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So as, as I talk about this in, in detail within the book to explain it, that if you simply adopt that worldview, the thing that's important not to do is to then say, well, okay, we're going to dismiss materialism because it doesn't, it's no good. And of course that's, that's not the correct approach, because we know that the scientific worldview is extremely successful. All of our technologies are based on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah. we, don't want to get, we don't want to throw away the textbooks, but what I argue that we do need to do is to expand the scientific worldview, to expand materialism, so that we add a new layer of assumption underneath it. Mm-hmm. And the new layer would basically say that, the, that the, at base, is consciousness. The rest of the material world arises out of it. And all we've done now is say that everything we know in science is completely correct, except we forgot that actually underlying everything is conscious awareness itself. That's what we would need to do in order to make an expanded scientific worldview where suddenly the whole range of 
psychic phenomena, mystical experiences, healing at a distance, the whole thing suddenly becomes uh, graspable in a way that we can start to, to understand and explain. That's interesting. So it it takes me back to to thinking about particle wave duality and and the double slit experiment, where we determine that whether light shows up as a particle or a wave depends on whether or not it's being observed. And so the power of the observer in everything that happens becomes a central a central part of things, and that must um, right. that 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 must be part of of what happens in the magical you know, mental influence over the physical world must be related to that observational effect. Right, but it's important to not conflate the idea of observation to only mean human observation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Excellent point. We're, <laughs> we're dealing with consciousness as a, a universal construct. It's like a, awareness is everything, mm-hmm. or consciousness is everything. So uh, that means that everything has a degree of consciousness to it because it's emerging out of consciousness. We, as humans, we have a particular body and brain that seem to be a very efficient receiver, let's say, of consciousness. We're, we're highly resonate with the idea of this awareness, uh, but virtually everything else, any other thing that's pure energy or matter uh, can have, not can have, but it is, it is made up out of consciousness. So that, that, that's why sometimes people object that you say, well, if reality doesn't exist, if you don't look at it, then bef- there were, clearly there was a universe around before there were humans. Well, <laughs> that's a mistake based on the idea that it's only human awareness that yeah. creates this, and it's not. It's everything. Everything is yeah. contributing to it. Yeah, we are very human-centric in this society, that is for certain. Um, Yeah, you know, I want to also talk about the Global Consciousness Project. I know we're heading into a break shortly, but in the Global Consciousness Project, you're studying random generators that become coherent before significant events. And this whole thing is making me wonder whether the fact that that we're observing the effects of randomness could could our observation create the coherence around the events? Right. So the Global Consciousness Project uh, ended a few years ago after we achieved 500 events. These are 500 large-scale worldwide events that we were tracking. And it's true that during those events, the nature of randomness, as measured by these electronic uh, random number generators, it it changed. It became more coherent. So the randomness became more orderly during times when many millions or sometimes billions of minds were all paying attention to the same thing at the same time. So one interpretation of this is that the the usual way of thinking about mind and matter as two separate things is probably wrong. It's Mm -hmm. more likely that they're like two sides of the same coin. So if you look in detail at the one side of a coin, you might think, well, that's it. That's the way we understand it. But, of course, the coin has another side. And so mind and matter seem to be very tightly correlated in the same sense that the heads and the tails of a coin are correlated. They're, they appear to be separate, but they're not. Uh, 
And so if you have a billion minds in the world that all suddenly become coherent because they're all paying attention to the same thing at the same time, then if the coin analogy is correct, then uh, we should find that certain kinds of order appear in physical systems too. And that's, in, that's indeed what we find in the Global Consciousness Project. That's so, really fascinating. That, yeah, it um, suggests the mind and matter are really not that separate. Yeah, that, that is fascinating. So we're going to go into break now. And again, um, we're talking to Dean Radin. And if you would like to speak with him, hit, go to his website, deanradin.org. And we will be right back. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration that opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time with award-winning authors Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the Empowerment Channel. It's time for you to take a sweet and honest look at your life. Tune into Living Within the Sweet Spot with your host, Nikki Klegel. Each week, Nikki invites you to call into the program where she will connect with each listener to show the power of God's love in every unique instance. There are gracious gifts and elements of power within each one of us. You just need to discover them and find your life's purpose. Live healthier and happier. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Exploring Beyond the Edge. To reach Dr. Cynthia Andrews or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to energyexplorations at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. So we're continuing our discussion with scientist Dean Radin about supernormal abilities and his book, Real Magic. And Colin, you had some questions. I do, I do. I've got many questions, actually. Yeah. <laughs> many. Um, I, if I could 
relay to you, Dean, two personal experiences. It seems too good an opportunity from a selfish perspective for me not to share it with a person of your um, stature here in these subjects. Um, so these are personal experiences that I've lived with and thought about a great deal. I, I don't have any explanations at all. The first one um, is what I call the voice phenomena. I don't know whether you've studied these before. Um, I've certainly mentioned these experiences to a number of other people, some of whom you know, and uh, it's it's not a, a single one-off. Apparently, other people do have this, have had it. Well, here's one, just one of the examples. I've had probably four or five of these. I was um, in England. This was going back in the late. There was two. It, actually, it was 2000. Uh, so what's that, 18 years ago, and I was in my daughter's home, staying there while Cynthia was back here in Connecticut, and I was almost asleep. I, this piece of it is very clear. I was almost asleep, very tired, and in, inside my head, I mean, I don't think there was anything outside going on, but inside my head, I had a, a, a voice uh, this is not, I hope, a schizophrenic voice, but the voice gave me either, I could either put it as a, um, a, suge a suggestion or an instruction. And it was at that time that I was uh, funded by Lawrence Rockefeller down in New York uh, to look at the hoaxing problem in the crop circle uh, mystery at that time. And we had, I had, I was coordinating that with private detectives and so on, looking at people making crop circles. And we were pretty well in a position to stitch it up by saying, well, this percentage we've looked at, you know, can be placed in the hands of these individuals, etc. Well, that's where we were. No decisions made on exactly when the paper would be submitted. I'd sent back to New York and put it into a system here. And the voice said, you must make this public now. And it was literally, I, I sat bolt upright in the bed. I had no idea where it came from, but the next morning, it was even more bizarre as the hair is rising on my arms as I speak to you now, the telephone went. Now, I was, at, as I said, at my daughter's, not, the location was not known to the media, it was only my family knew, and it was BBC uh, in London uh, at trying to track me down. I don't know how they did, but they found me. Uh, my daughter phoned, you know, shouted up the stairs, it's for you, Dad. And on the phone was a, a journalist from BBC who said that she had had an experience that night that she should ask me if I had anything uh, for them with regard to the crop circle phenomenon. And I knew right there exactly what I had to do was to make public the hoaxing problem. Uh, and so that, that's one example of this particular mystery that uh, this voice phenomenon which I had no idea about. Um, I, I very much value your thoughts on that. Well, that's a remarkable story. Uh, I've heard one or two people with similar stories, uh, that they would hear a voice. It, uh, voice, it would sometimes would say something that would save their life. Mm, um, yeah. The, I've actually had an experience like that myself many years ago when I was running a foot race I'm not particularly an athlete, so it was quite quite a, an exertion for me. Uh, and I was coming around the last corner, and I kept hearing the guy next to me saying, "Go on, you can do it. You you can finish it." And then finally, that I used that as encouragement. 
got to the end line, turned around to thank the guy, and there was no guy. It was it was a voice I was hearing that was giving me this encouragement. Yeah. So, so at the time, I I imagined that I basically had dissociated. That I I had thought that it was somebody else's voice, but it was my own thoughts, I suppose, or dissociated from my mind. Yeah. That my my body was telling me something that my unconscious wanted to let me know, but I did couldn't get it consciously. So. I don't. I don't claim that that's what's happening in your case, but it's a viable explanation that yeah. there are deep portions of our consciousness and know all kinds of things mm-hmm. that sometimes don't make it up to the level of conscious awareness. But if it's really important, it'll punch a hole right through your, your the blocks yeah. that you have and basically yeah. talk to you, and it's yourself. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's that's fascinating. Although then, he, although then, this woman had the same experience, so that your two experiences aligned with each other for a yeah, result. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, right. She she was triggered, uh, or as it was suggested to her that she she speaks to me because I had something for them. I had you know no intentions of having anything for them in the entire visit because I wanted to get back to the U.S. and uh, you know look at the figures and work them through. But right. that is what happened, as it, and as it happens, it was a very important, um, pivotal point in the research itself because the public were being uh, misled, um, mm-hmm. you know, by the by the, uh, the situation there. But there's, mm-hmm. I think, another one on the, in, in a few seconds if I could share that with you. I think we're yeah. heading into. What have I got there, Cynthia? Five minutes. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to boss this engine out who's running the show. Now, here, here's another one. I, I, this is, I want it to be more about you, Dean, than, than me, but I'm valuing your input. Um, I was, on this next particular occasion, nothing to do with voice phenomena. I was with uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, you will have heard about, you know about who he uh-huh. is. Um, uh, with, a, with a group that had come over from the US to the UK. I had a number of individuals with me too. The, the, the group of individuals uh, on a hillside on a dark night, cloudy night, totaled approximately 50. So there are fi- 50 observers. And we were there, um, you know, working with Stephen Greer effectively on this vectoring uh, idea that he had. And suddenly, and I will now relay what I saw, and then I'll discuss the, 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 the mystery in this and that was a, a white light um, giving the appearance of a, of a light inside of cotton wool there was it was going actually the light was moving through low-level cloud it was actually in the cloud cover but at the very base of the cloud and so we could see it very clearly but it, it was you know that it had that reflection to it and it was coming through at, at a considerable speed faster certainly than any aircraft and it as it it went directly over the top of us we're all looking at it um, this white light broke into two. Well, what we discussed this at length with every single one of the individuals because of what appeared to be manifesting here was that half of that group saw a cherry red light, something entirely different, below the cloud line that did not break in two. And these were intermingled in one group of individuals, half of them seeing one thing, half of them seeing another. And that's, again, one of those bafflers that I have nothing to offer on. Well, that immediately raises uh, 
to, to me, a similarity with the um, miracle at Fatima in Portugal, mm. right? right? So you have uh, the, the final visitation, uh, tens of thousands of people, some of whom saw the, the sun fall out of the sky, others saw lights that could be interpreted as UFOs, some saw nothing, nothing unusual at all. So what yeah. this tells me is that there's, there's this intermediate stage between something that's purely mental and purely physical. And because people are different and also open to different kinds of experiences, that people will witness the same event and have very different experiences. And, of course, anybody who does eyewitness research, research or relies on eyewitness testimony know immediately that people will see exactly the same thing but are in attention is slightly different, you can end up having very different kinds of experiences. Right. Almost like different parts of the brain are being activated. We do have one uh, calling question here, um, Dean, from someone who is asking whether when, has anyone ever done like functional MRIs or something to see if different parts of the brain are being activated during different abilities like telepathy or precognition? There have been functional MRI studies done during presentiment experiments mm-hmm. to see does uh, do differential portions of the brain light up before emotional events, and the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And not too surprisingly, because the uh, presentiment ex- experiment involves exposure to emotional pictures, that the portion of the brain that shows a differential response is the amygdala. Mm-hmm. which is the portion of the brain that, that is dealing with emotional response. Uh, mm-hmm. Likewise, functional MRI has been used in telepathy experiments uh, where the receiving party is inside the MRI. The sending party will have two different kinds of stimuli. They'll either get a flashing light or they hear an audio tone. And so what is found in the brain of the receiver is either the occipital lobe will light up, or the audio cortex. And mm. in other words, that if the sender is having a visual experience, then the receiver's brain, the occipital lobe in the back, lights up, uh, even though they, they're not getting any light, but their brain is showing an activity there. And if the distant sender is hearing an audio tone, then the receiver's audio car- cortex is more active, even though That's they're not funny. actually hearing anything. That's so really it, fascinating. I yeah, hate to have to stop that there's a correlation then between one person's brain and the other person's brain. Yeah, it's like the mirror neurons. Um, and I, I'm so sorry to have to cut into this because it, it, we're just getting into the real meat of it. But we're 10 seconds away from the show closing. And I my want to mate. just tell you how glad we were that you came today. And we could talk with you for hours. So I'm sorry we've had to rush you I through this. dozens more. <laughs> so um, people, you can reach Dean at his website, deanradin.org. That's D-E-A-N, radin.org. And as always, just far too soon, you can reach Colin on Facebook. You can reach me at explorationsandenergy.com. Um, come back next week. We have more interesting information. And thank you so very, very much, Dean. Thank you, Dean. You're welcome. Thank 
Thank you so much for joining us today. Exploring Beyond the Edge is heard every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until our next program, Dr. Cynthia Andrews wishes you a great week. 